Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. I want to talk to you about this thing we call spiritual revelation and the necessity of a spiritual man and a spiritual woman living by that revelation. This is a topic that can be misunderstood but it is the teaching of the Word of God that a man can hear from God, that a man can see from God, that a man can perceive and discern and understand God. Even though, beloved, listen to me, even though we live in an age of Babylonian confusion, we live pretty much in the age of the Tower of Babel, where the people could not communicate one to another. And so God, of course, conf confused the languages, hence the Tower of Babel, which means confusion. We do still live in that age where people cannot communicate, and there's widespread confusion. In such a Babylonian condition in which we currently live, God still wants to shine a laser beam straight into your being and teach you and show you and instruct you and lead you. And a man of God cannot be swept up in the, in the current of confusion. A man of God has to be a person that can say, I hear God, I understand God, I discern God, I know God. But then I have to balance my words. Even though you're a man of God and you are not in the current of confusion, but you're in the, 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 the realm of certainty and of knowing and the realm of conviction, that still does not mean that you're all-knowing. When we talk about revelation, we dare not present it from this aspect that God wants to, in a way, cause you to be omniscient all-knowing. Even the Apostle Paul, who had marvelous revelations, in fact, he was caught up and saw and heard things that he was not permitted to speak back into this realm. Even that man said, I know in part and I prophesy in part. And it's as though I see the things of God as though I look through Roman glass, which was not 100% pure glass the way we have it today. So you could see through it, and you could see some of what's on the other side of that glass, but it, it was a little tricky. It was not a completed vision. So when we say God speaks, God reveals, God shows and, and lets you in on the mysteries of the kingdom. And in a way, you can be raptured into the things of, of heaven. And, and you can, there's this ladder between us and God. And, and God brings revelation down. And I come up and I can see and understand. We dare not say that all of a sudden you're a know-it-all or a see-it-all. We still see in part. But nevertheless, here's my question. 
Have you come to a place where you see the scales have been removed from your eyes and you see and understand the things of God? Yeah, but I've been grown up in church. I've been to Sunday school. That's not what I'm talking about. I want to give you a couple of things, and there's a lot that I believe uh, Sunday school books, that I believe a teacher or a pastor or counsel or wisdom cannot give you. This has to come from God. There's a couple of things that you can only receive straight from God. Now, I can teach on it. We can read Bible verses on this, and we've got books that try to like extrapolate all these thoughts and, you know, and give us this presentation of a truth. But I want to tell you, there's a difference between information and revelation. So yeah, we have the Google for information, but it cannot change your life. Only revelation can. So I want to hit on that nail today and let's uh, see if the Lord can instruct us and um, calibrate us that in certain spiritual topics you cannot receive from man. You will have to learn to receive from God. Let's start with the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. And we just uh, want to nail in one particular prophetic passage here briefly for you. Jeremiah 31 is a passage that deals with the new covenant. And it's just a marvelous passage. But if you pick up there in verse 33, it says, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And this is the covenant. I will put my law in their inward parts. Your Bible may say, I will put my law, my instruction, my commandments, I'll put it within you, within your heart. Deep within the core of your being somewhere, I will write this onto your heart. So we see that this new covenant is really a transition from an external law code and it's a transition into the inner parts of man. So it's a covenant that's going to focus within, not without. The Lord says here in the verse 33, I will be their God and they will be my people. In that you should understand that in this new covenant, it will be like a marriage again. God, the bridegroom, the people, the bride, and there will be a coalescence and a union of God and His people. But then I want you to notice verse 34, and look how beautiful this is. Because of this covenant, and because of God inscribing by the Spirit His burden within you, He says in verse 34, they will no longer teach each other, each man his neighbor and each man his brother. Saying, oh, this is the way to know the Lord. 
But God says in verse 34, all of them will know me. Even from the little to the great among you, all will be taught by God. You don't need a rabbi anymore to teach you. In this new covenant, your heart will teach you. You will be taught from within. And listen to me, that inward teaching is what we call revelation. Now, is it wrong to learn from your parents? No. Is it wrong to learn from a spiritual leader of sorts? No. Is it wrong to read a book? No. Even in Jesus' day, there were rabbis all over teaching the ways of God. Today, we don't have necessarily rabbis. In our culture, you might call them pastors. There are spiritual shepherds all over. And I just want to say thank you for even coming to Legacy to, in a way, be taught. And that's kind of what our school is. We are a teaching ministry. So we teach and educate people in the spiritual life. But I want you to notice the prophecy. In this new covenant of the heart, this within covenant, God Himself will be one teaching you. You can be as old as chapel, and you may not even be able to read and write, and you can be privy to the teaching of God. You can be an older man, that have learned all the wisdom of, of, of the ages, and you're highly experienced and wise, and yet you too can be taught of God. So in a way, the prophet says here, Jeremiah says, it doesn't matter who you are. In a way, God can speak to you and educate you. And that is the privilege of the new covenant people. So let me ask you, How's that going for you in the New Covenant? If you are merely living by the external teachings of man, and let's say a book, or then there's something else for you yet to enter into. And I want to tell you, if you are in the New Covenant, you are allowed to hear God. So we have to then ask the question, how do I hear God? Aha! Uh -huh. 1 John chapter 2. I want to pick up in verse 20. As John is writing this letter to new covenant people, he's reminding them that inside of them there is a supply directly from God that is to teach you, to shepherd you, to instruct you. Jesus spoke about this inward supply, and we know it today as the Spirit of Jesus Christ. John uses the reference to Spirit often in this letter. We've received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit from God. But in a way, he calls the Spirit here the anointing. And now just look at verse 20, for instance. He says that you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know this. That word, epignosco there, is the word you know this because of the experience. If you look at verse 27, it says, And as for you, 
the anointing that you received from God. I want you to notice this is from the Holy One. This is not from man. You received this supply from God Himself. And He says this anointing actually abides within you. It doesn't visit you. There's no visiting hours with this anointing. It dwells within you. It remains within you. Beloved, this is the blessing of the new covenant. That there's a supply directly from the Holy One. It's as though a ladder has been established between heaven and you being the earth. And upon that ladder comes the flow of God. Comes the dispensing nature of God. And that which is dispensed into you, John calls it the anointing. Can you follow with me? Now that anointing is just the Holy Spirit in motion. And I'll explain that to you in just a minute. But none of us can say, Oh God, why are you not leading me? Oh God, why are you not teaching me? John writes to these Christians, he says, You know that you have the Holy One inside of you. You know there's a flow of God, a kind of a river, a kind of a counselor, a kind of an advocate, a kind of a teacher. You know this. Can I ask you, do you know that in this new covenant reality, there's a direct link between you and God? Yeah, but Francois, I'm not studied. Yeah, but I'm not smart. Yeah, but I'm just too small. But I'm a man, an idiot. I'm, I'm a woman. And no matter what excuse, in the new covenant, you have this tremendous privilege to be directly linked with the anointing of God. No more excuses. Yeah, but I just don't know what God wants from me. Bahamba. I'm not sure what that means. You cannot make any more excuse. In the new covenant, God is personally responsible to teach you. No excuse. You should know your Lord. This is eternal life, that they may know the Father and know the Son. And how will you know Him? Because of the anointing that works within you. Look here. You have an anointing. You received it from God. It abides within you, and you have no need that any man should teach you. That anointing will teach you concerning all things. That anointing is true. It's not going to lie to you. And even as it has taught you, John would say, remain in the anointing, remain in the teaching. Now, what is the anointing? It's a big topic, but can I just simplify it? Inside my tube of toothpaste, there is a paste inside that tube that has all the ingredients necessary for my teeth to be clean and for the uh, sugar to be removed and for the acid to be neutralized and for my teeth to look all nice and bright. So you might say that tube of toothpaste is all inclusive for my teeth being healthy. But something has to happen. That tube of toothpaste has to be squeezed and there has to be movement from the toothpaste tube to my mouth. And I have to partner with that toothpaste. In a way, I stir up that toothpaste. 
and I mingle myself with it. I become one with that toothpaste. And so when that toothpaste is just there, it's in a way static. But when it can begin to have a flow towards my mouth, let's say, and there is movement and application, and I receive the toothpaste, and I work with it. That is called the anointing. In a way, think of a tube of Neosporin. Inside the Neosporin is everything my body needs for antibacterial um, sterilization, so to speak. So there's the ointment, there's the tube, and it's all inclusive. It's got everything my little cut needs. Amen. But in a way, it's ineffective until I partner with it and I squeeze it. Now, when that ointment begins to move onto my skin and I rub the new sporin, that is called the anointing, so to speak. In a way, I am putting the salve on my arm. I'm putting the toothpaste on my teeth. There is the application. Think of a bottle of shampoo. Everything in that bottle is for my hair to look all nice. But until I pump that bottle and I work with it and I anoint my head with that uh, foamy shampoo, there's not the application. So what John is basically saying, listen up. God is this toothpaste, this neosporin, this bottle of shampoo, this hand sanitizer. And in God is everything you need for life and godliness. Come on, people. God does not lack. In Him are all the answers, all the destinies, all the power. In God is everything that you need. All the instruction, all the knowledge, all the understanding. God is the tube. But somehow, through faith <laughs> and partnership and stirring up, in a way, the Spirit of God within you, and you begin to cause the Spirit of God to have a flow towards you. That is, you're humble, you're meek, that is, you're dependent, you abide and you remain in Him, you look towards Him, you defer to Him, you surrender. All of those things, in a way, causes the Spirit of God to flow. And when the Spirit of God can begin to flow and rub all over you, then that Spirit of God will begin to anoint you with what you need from God. And one of the things He anoints you with is revelation. Amen for the anointing. Amen. Don't you know that there's an anointing within you? Yeah. Are you an aggravation to the anointing or are you a compliment to the anointing? Do you and I stir it up? Do we partner with it? Or are we questioning it? In John chapter 3, they're questioning John the baptizer whether he's the Messiah or how does this thing work. And then look at verse 27. He says, a man cannot receive anything unless it has been given to him from above. That statement is that John is not the Christ. It's not been given to John to be the Christ. And he's basically saying this amazing truth 
that there are some things that you cannot receive from man. You have to receive them only from God. And I want to show you a few of those things this morning. Again, can we learn from books? Yes. Can we learn from Bible studies and commentaries and pastors and mentors? Yes, 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 and yes. But unless God directly out of heaven by His anointing rubs some things into you, there's just some things the Google can't teach you. There's some things a man can't teach you. I mean, how many sermons have you listened to over the last 18 years? <clears throat> yeah, there's quite a few. How's that working out for you? How many sermons have your parents preached at you? How many Christian books have you read? See, information can inspire you, but only revelation, when it comes from the anointing, can cause about transformation. So I want to show you a couple of things that man cannot teach you. And I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 1. There's a bunch. But I think Paul says it best in Ephesians chapter 1. Because you're in this new covenant. You are uniquely positioned for the anointing to flow into you. And to rub God into your being. But there's some things that God has to rub into you that I cannot. And Paul, here in Ephesians 1, he prays a little bit over the Ephesian community. And if you notice carefully, I'm going to write them down for you in just a minute. You see, Paul is going to ask that they would be able to see, that they would be enlightened, that they would have knowledge and understanding and revelation. And then he's going to list a couple of things. And I want to submit to you, if you want to be a part of the proper testimony of God in this earth, and you don't want to be an embarrassment to God, but you want to live lockstep with heaven, and there's a couple of things here that you and God will have to have a come to Jesus about. You'll have to have a little bit of a come to Jesus session with God regarding these things. If these things are lacking in your life, you'll see that your spiritual walk in a way would fall flat and you're going to struggle. It's like you're in quicksand. You... You're alive, but you're not moving. But if the Holy Spirit can take you to school on these few things, beloved, you will have a glorious, glorious Christian life. And you will pack an enormous punch in the here and the now. Who does not want to pack a big punch in the next 50, 60, 70 years? Come on, people. So as I'm reading through this, Holy Spirit, rub these truths, these dynamics. Reveal it to us because we cannot receive the truth of these things from man. So let's read Ephesians chapter 1 and let's start at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you always in my prayers. 
And Paul, what are you praying for me? Oh, that I would get a spouse, have a nice house. What college I should go? Please pray for me. My cat just had babies. Which is the worst disaster that can befall anybody probably. It's like, what do you do with these things? No, look at verse 17. This is Paul praying. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of glory, that God may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full knowledge. Notice those words. A spirit of wisdom, revelation, and full knowledge. It's as though Paul pulls out every Greek word to impress you with the fact that God needs to open up something over you. That word revelation is our word, you know, apocalypse. And the word revelation or apocalypse just means a curtain being drawn. That is, may God open up a portal between you and heaven. Open up the curtain, the veil that, that blocks you from seeing. I pray for you that God would in a way shine into you. That is called revelation. And that's actually what happened to Paul on the road of Damascus. He had these scales on his eyes and he met God and a light shone out of heaven. And it's as though the curtain was just opened up in Paul's life. Now I want you to notice what Paul is praying for you to see. What heavy revelation is he praying for? And notice carefully, he says, A spirit of wisdom and revelation... In the full knowledge of Him. That is, number one, that you would know God. That is, that you would know the person of God. So, Paul is praying this, so it, it lets me know. It's not so easy to know the person of God. You, you just don't go to a book to know the person of God. You don't just like go to a Bible study to really know God. It's as though this man has to intercede for you. That your spirit would be wise and, and be revealed to. And that you would come to fully know and understand and experience really who God is. So before he prays that you would know what school to go to or know who to marry or know where to invest your stock, it's as though he's, he cuts straight to the chase. That you would know God. That lets me know that knowing God is not a trivial issue. You can't know God from the information of the Google. Somehow the anointing has to reveal God to you. I can't do this. How many of us have taught you, oh, God is good, oh, God is loving, God is so kind and gracious, and we try to teach you the character of God, and we teach you Bible verses, and, and Paul says, no, I need to pray for you that heaven would open up regarding this nature of God. You, you will never, from my lecture or from a book, really know God. Yeah? Notice number two. He says, not only do I want you to know God, 
but I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, like your inner man where that covenant is written. That inner heart man. I wanted to, to, to see. And now he comes to, in a way, point number two. What, what do I want your heart to see? I'm praying that your inner man would really wake up and smell the coffee. And here it is in verse 18. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. That is, that you would know what is God's calling on your life. And I want to tell you, this is not whether you're a doctor or, Lord, please teach me, should I be a lawyer? God, should I be a politician? God, should I be a teacher? Sure. No, that's not the calling of God. That's just a place where, in a way, you live out your calling. You get a little paycheck for it. That's kind of nice. It's just a place where you exchange time for, you know, some resources. That's not the calling. Now, can teaching be a calling? And I, I get that. Amen. Okay. But you, Paul is not talking about that. Come on, people. The calling here is the predestination of God on your life. I don't want to get too excessively mystical here. But there is a predestination on your life. There is a mandate on a believer's life. And, and Paul is praying that you would know that particular mandate. And I want to submit to you, in short, that you would know what God has in front of you. That destiny, that calling, that real calling is Christ-likeness. The image of God. We've talked about this elsewhere. But the greatest calling on your life that you would know what is the hope of that calling is that you would be transformed into His image from one degree of glory to another. That you would take on the image of the heavenly man. Adam fell from the image of God. So what is salvation? The restoration of the image of God. Beloved, this is the greatest predestined calling on your life. I don't want to go too much into the semantics of this, but Paul is praying that you would know that whatever God is doing in your life today, He has a calling. And you should put hope in that what God is doing now is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. He's working all things together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. Because you've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. You have such a hope that no matter what happens to you circumstantially, there's a hope within you. And Paul prayed, I can't give you this hope. Paul prays, only God can give you this hope that things are working together for the image of God. Now, beloved, some of you have faced atrocious abuse straight from the satanic pit. You may say, but how can God make this work together for good? Paul says, even though my outward man is decaying and my circumstance is unraveling and things in the flesh seems to be degrading, he says, yet my inner man is being renewed day by day. That's the hope of restoration. That's the hope of 
being conformed. So somehow it doesn't make sense how all this hurt can come against us. But listen, God has the last laugh. God has the last agenda. It doesn't matter what comes against us, good, bad or ugly. If you and I can receive revelation from God, then you will see somehow through it all, He's doing a work in you that just shames Satan. Had Satan known that all this onslaught of hurt would produce glory in you, he would not do have done it. So it just shows you how dumb the devil is. That by killing you and crippling you, in a way, God's grace is manifesting. God's glory is manifesting. God's power, as you'll see in a minute, is manifesting. We can go on and on about this thing. Beloved, I can't teach you this. I can't counsel you. Oh, it's going to work together. There's a Bible verse. You can tattoo it. You can put a sticker on your fridge. You can have it in front of your mirror until it comes out of heaven and hits you like a rock. God's in control of my calling. God's in control of my destiny. There's no way I can inspire you. There's no way. You've got to receive this revelation straight from heaven. Amen. The issue is not where we've been. The issue is who's at the end and whose we are and who we're becoming. Paul goes on in this prayer for heavy revelation. He says, I want you to know, number three, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. In a way, he talks here about an inheritance. There's an endowment that was given to you. And in a way, there's a provision for you. Apparently, you never have a lack in God. Apparently. There's a kind of an inheritance for you there, but there's also an endowment through the Spirit, it's a pledge and a seal now. There's an anointing now that keeps you, that trains you, that restores you, that builds you. And apparently, unless Paul prays and really asks God to open up this curtain regarding His riches in us, apparently it escapes all of us. And just notice even you and I's own life. Check with your own experience. How often do you feel inadequate before God? Oh God! I can't. Oh God, I, I, I can't do this. Oh God, don't ask me to do this. Oh Lord, no, no. Excuses, excuses. And Paul says, unless you receive this revelation from God, that there is a rich, multifarious dimension of God in you, there's an endowment in you. Unless you come to the bank and see in spirit what is registered to your bank account, I, I can't convince you. I can't convince you that you have the anointing in you, that you're supplied by God, that you are rich in God, spiritually blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's Bible verses. I can't do it. I can be clever. And boy, there's been clever preachers before me. One of the more clever preachers is this man over here. And there's no amount of clever speech that convince you you have all things that pertain to life and godliness given to you in Jesus Christ. I cannot convince you of that. 
This is something I have to receive straight from God. Amen. Paul keeps on with his list of things that he hopes you get sort of understanding in. He says in verse 19, this is a cool one. He says, I want you to know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his might and his strength. Now, depending on how your Bible translations say this, Paul is using every possible Greek word for the word power in that one sentence. Let me point it out to you. He says in verse 19, I want you to know what a surpassing greatness of his power. That first word is you and I's word dunamis. Or the Greek word dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. So he wants you to know that the power of God in you is like dynamite. Yeah, but I just, I just feel so weak. You don't have revelation. Again, I can't inspire you to understand that there is power, baby, within you. Then notice, towards us who believe, according to the working, according to the operation, that is the Greek word energeo, from which we get the word energy. Energy, which is power in movement. Second Greek word. Then he goes on, that you would know this energy power of God according to the might of His strength. That word might is the word kratos. And then strength is just another word, um, iskus, which is another word for power. So listen to me if I can just, in a way, paraphrase this. He says, I'm praying for you, that you would know the power, 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 power of God. And he pulls out every possible word to show you there's power within us who believe. Now, I can't convince you that you are powerful in the Lord. How many books have been written to teach Christians they are powerful? <laughs> and we walk around like, woe is me. I'm just a grasshopper. This dunamis and energeo and kratos and iskus power, this is something you'll have to receive by revelation straight from God. And you'll see, when you get a revelation of the power of God within you, and I'm not talking power the way you see it in Hollywood, snap your fingers and things just happen. But power over the influences of this world. Where you stand on a rock and you are not swayed by the wind and tossed by the waves. Power. Because Paul said the kingdom of God is not an issue of speech. It's an issue of power. And Paul knew this power. And yet he was never powerful. Paul never just snapped his fingers. He suffered and struggled. But there was a power within him that he knew, that he knew, that he knew, that he knew. God was for him and not against him. There was nothing that's going to separate him from God. He just he knew this. And he had energy. Power. Power. 
I want you to know the power, 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 power. You're a power ranger in the spirit. Stop eating power bars and ask God for revelation. Some power. That word kratos is where we get the word a little bit crater. That, that, that volcanic mountain that blows that top of that mountain off. Power. Behold, I've given you power over all of the enemy. To trample on snakes and scorpions. And it's not as though I'm the powerful one. It's as though the anointing rubs Christ the powerful one into me. And I am only powerful insofar Christ is in me powerful. He says in verse 20, This power he caused to operate, that word operate is another power word. He caused this power to operate in Christ when he raised him from the dead. When he raised him from the dead. This is an issue of resurrection. An issue of resurrection. This is something that only God can teach you because He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the bread of life. He's the water of life. He's the light of life. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the one that came to give you this life. In Him is this life. All that I can give you is human life. That's all I gave Francis in chapel. I passed on human life. So all I can teach my children is how to live the human life. This is how you speak. This is how you eat. This is how you walk. This is how humans live. I cannot teach you the divine life. And yet there is a semester at Legacy where we spend the entire semester pulling this thread of the divine life. And yet I can't teach you what this life is like what this life does, how, how it works. This is something you cannot receive from man. If you were born from God and you received this life from above, then only God can teach you about this resurrection power. So how does it play out in everyday life? Most of us, we lose something. Then we're like, oh, God cannot redeem this. Nothing can come from this. I just lost a friend. My life is done. Or I just lost a job. Or, or the door didn't open. And we all get crippled. Because you don't have revelation that in God, death is the prelude to resurrection. And dying is the route to resurrection. And so you and I, we have just the human observation. We have the human revelation. Oh, the door is closed. No. God's facilitating death in you and about you. And I mean that in a, in, in a way, God's facilitating the losing of things around you and the struggle. Why? So you can get revelation, not of power or of might, but the spirit of resurrection that does things. And this is what Paul is praying. Most of us, we complain before God. Why? When? Where? Who? You don't have a revelation of resurrection power. Oh, Jesus, teach us. I remember Paul saying in Philippians 3, he said, I want to know this Lord. 
And I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection. Philippians 3 verse 10. I want to know what resurrection power is all about. Paul is praying this for you. That's obvious to me. I can't teach this to you. You're going to have to die to certain things. You're going to have to lose and in a way suffer. If, if you don't go through some awkward seasons in life where everybody walks out on you and, and you don't go through some seasons where you, you lack and you lose, and how will you ever know resurrection power? See, we, we can't like do a Bible study on resurrection power. You have to do a life study. You just have to live your life. And every time a door closes or something dies, let's say, in your life, you're being set up to experience a power that comes from above, not from this world. Oh, Jesus, give us revelation. Let's go on here. It says here, he was raised from the dead. And then he says, he was now seated at the right hand, uh, you know, of God the Father in the heavenlies. This is point number six. Paul is wanting you to catch a vision of the exaltation and the, the majesty and, and the glory of Jesus Christ seated in the heavenlies. How soon we forget that Jesus Christ is the King of the kings and the Lord of the lords. And He is the one worthy to open up the seals. He is the one who, to whom belongs all majesty, all glory, all honor, all power, all might, all sovereignty. Well, we all believe Jesus is the Lord and in His name, you know, people are saved. There's like no other name. But do you really have a revelation how exalted He is and that everything is under His feet? You'll see in a minute. But first, this exaltation. How often do you and I exalt the circumstance and we honor and we revere and we consider the things of this world? Paul is praying that your eyes would be opened up, that you would see where the Lord is seated in this majesty. Therefore, I encourage all the songwriters, write more songs regarding the majesty of the King of Kings. Write more songs regarding the exaltation. Remember the old song, We exalt thee. We exalt thee. Man, what a song. Of course, it's not going to make it in our day because we don't have enough words. But I encourage the songwriters, write songs regarding the exaltation. And beloved, I can all day long tell you, Jesus is in charge. Jesus is Lord. Kind of like my parrot. And you're still going to live like a victim. You're still going to live like, is he really in charge? Until God opens up and you let the anointing rub the exaltation of Christ into you and upon you. And you're like, even if I die, <laughs> He's, he's in charge. Nothing escapes His notice. Since He's exalted, surely He's aware of everything and He's in charge. With that whole thing of Christ being exalted, sitting at the right hand of God, you get a revelation. He's interceding for you. He's standing in the gap for you. He's an advocate for you. He's pleading the blood on the mercy seat of God for you. 
when you begin to get a revelation of this man, that he's not a baby in a crib on Christmas Day getting tinsels on some tree. He's an exalted man sitting on the throne of God. He's not just some buddy old pal. He's an amazing person. And the revelation of Christ is actually in the book of Revelation chapter 1. Where it talks of him with his eyes of fire. This mouth that has a sword and water and this hair that's white as wool. And he has this white robe. Another vision there in chapter 19, that robe is dipped in blood. But there's this beautiful band of gold around his chest. And then he has these feet of bronze. It's not like a baby in some manger anymore. That stage is past. See, every year we celebrate the baby. Paul is praying that we would have a vision of the exalted man. Oh, glory. Amen. Let's go to number seven. I'm not done yet. Two more. Oh, three more. Now, he says that you would see him how everything is put under his feet. Notice there. That you would see in verse 21 that he is far above all rule and authority, power and lordship in every name that is named in this age and in the age that is to come. That you would see this man to, has a, to have authority. Now again, I can teach you that Jesus is in charge. God is good. He's going to work it together for good. And, and he is stomping Satan down. I can teach all these little things. But then you look around in the world, you're just like, no, Satan's having a heyday. Christ is not in control. He's not authoritative. You will never come into the revelation of these things through teaching. God has to shine it from above. Notice the things Paul is praying for us. It's got nothing to do with my job, my professor, my family, my career, my paycheck, my promotion. Like he wants you to know that Jesus is in charge. Beloved, where do you get your revelation from? In the new covenant, you have to get these things straight from God. The next one, look back on your uh, Ephesians chapter 1 here. Look at verse 22. He says here in verse 22, how he subjected all things under his feet. Again, the issue of authority. And now, how he gave Jesus to, the, to be the head over all things. Again, the issue of authority. But then in number 8, he introduces the word ecclesia, the word church. How he is the head of the church. And in a way, Paul wants you to have this revelation that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. The same way John the baptizer prophesied that the bride, the church, the kingdom people belongs to the bridegroom in John 3. So all of you would say, well, we know what the church is. Do you? Do you really have a revelation of who the church is and what the church is? I submit to you. 
The vast majority of us have no revelation regarding this thing called ecclesia. For us, church means a meeting. For us, church means a kind of a hierarchical system. The top over here and us goobers down here. For many of us, the church means a kind of a movement, a denomination, a place where you pay your tithes. That's kind of our revelation. Church is a place where I pay up. I tip the preacher. What's your revelation of church? Is it like a spiritual elitist country club? Kind, only flock to kind? Paul prays that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would really see how the Lord is the head of the church. Now, it's besides our time here to teach you what the church is. I think if I were to teach you who and what the church is, you guys would crucify me. I got children to raise, and I got a wife to love, okay? I'm not teaching on the church just yet. You know, I'll make Christians mad, start talking about church. Why? Because we all interpret it through a certain filter of our culture. And I don't know what churches you guys go to. I endorse them all. I say, go. Go be with God's people. But do you have a revelation of God's people? Do you have a real revelation how Jesus is the head? You'll even hear people talk about my church. My church, we have 3,000 members. At so-and-so's church, we all talk it in, in the personal term. And yet in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. See, you and I are just brothers and sisters. Okay, I'm about to get crucified. All right. It's not your church, baby. In the book of Revelation, Jesus walks in the midst of the churches, trimming the candles in the, the, the lampstands. He's the priest that ministers to the churches and services the oil within the churches. The churches do not belong to pastor so-and-so. It belongs. He's the head. Hello? Look. Uh, I've got to wrap this up. We're done. He's the head of the church. Is everybody with me? Yeah, it's gotten awfully quiet. Verse 23 is the last one, and we're done. He talks about the church, which is his body. You know, in Paul, in the book of Corinthians, and particularly in Ephesians, he would really extrapolate and exhaust this concept of the body. But I want you to notice the last phrase that is on the heels of this particular prayer, that you would come to understand how Jesus fills all. This filling aspect, this aspect where you are in Him and He is in you and you are one spirit with the Lord. Where He will never leave you nor forsake you. Where He's the head of the church, but He's also in the church. Just like my body, my head here is above the body, but from my head, everything in the body functions. So the head is here, but it's also in the body so to speak, through these nerve endings and help me, science people. Everything originates here from the head. And the head fills. I have this vision that God is actually in everybody. So the way I treat you is the way I treat Christ. The way I interact with you and the way I submit to you and the way we get along, it's as though I submit one to another in the fear of God. Because why? He fills all. And it's not up to me to get this whole Christian thing going. It's up to us. We're the body of Christ. And every member has to do his share. 
Everybody has to have the anointing flow through them. We all have to minister God into this earth. Not just pastor this or Francois this or school this or movement. All of us are a part of the body of Christ. And guess what? He fills all and is in all. Hallelujah. Well, they can't have the Spirit. Well, we're the elite. No, you don't have a vision of the church. Do you have a vision that He's also in you? One with you. And the anointing flows into you. Grace and giftings and character so you could be a part of the body of Christ. Yeah, but I don't have an education. I don't have a degree. I'm not called reverend. Get over your cultural, stereotypical, limited vision of spiritual things. Get a download from God. Well, there's my introduction on spiritual revelation. I wanted to also take you to Matthew. I wanted to also take you to the book of Acts. Show you how Peter had visions and revelations. I wanted to give you a couple of practical tips how you can know that God is teaching you resurrection things. But as always, our time is up. So, beloved, in this new covenant, be ye this old or this old, from this culture, Jew or Gentile, free or slave, it doesn't matter. You don't need to teach each other certain things. You can't, otherwise you would have. There's a couple of things that you will have to get straight from God. And this is your privilege in the new covenant.